Disney Roulette is a movie review podcast in which we discuss, in detail, the movies available on Disney's streaming service. In internet speak, that means, spoiler alert, you've been warned. Also, while Disney films are safe for the whole family to enjoy together, this show is not. Listener discretion is advised. All that said, let's do this shit. Welcome to Disney Plus Roulette, a magical movie review podcast. I'm your host, Kate, and with me, of course, is my co-host and husband, Bob. What's up, babe? Hi, everybody. How's it going today? All right, before we get started, let's do a quick social media update because I made a boo-boo. Um, so if you listen to our first episode, I said that our Twitter and Instagram handles are at Disney Roulette Pod. I did check this beforehand. There was no one on Twitter with that handle, but also that handle is too long for Twitter's rules. Womp womp. Womp womp womp. I tried to change Instagram to make them the same, and unfortunately somebody is sitting on the Instagram handle at Disney Roulette. I think it's a bot. Maybe someday we can take over that account, but I don't even know how you go about doing that. So... For the time being, our Twitter handle is at Disney Roulette, and our Instagram handle is at Disney Roulette Pod. Sorry for any confusion, guys. It kind of is what it is. As of right now, there's not really much we can do about it. And I've learned my lesson. I obviously am not the most well-versed in Twitter. <laughs> as far as general podcast news goes, the podcast is going to be bi-weekly. We said that last time. This is just kind of a surprise bonus episode to kind of hit the ground running. We're going to be dropping shows on Tuesdays. You can expect our next one to drop on Tuesday, August 4th. If we have some downtime between then and decide to do another one just for funsies, it'll be just a, hey, surprise episode. Um, but you can always count on us being there Tuesdays every other week. Should we get to some news? Sounds like it's time for news. We got a lot of Marvel news going on, Bob, so why don't you go ahead and start us off with your Marvel Minute. Well, our Marvel Minute for this week, basically, COVID continues. The Falcon and Winter Soldier, which was supposed to premiere in August, was, has been pushed back to unknown date. WandaVision was supposed to be December. That has also been pushed back. That at least have been given a spring 2021 air date as of right now. Filming was supposed to be completely wrapped according to Disney, but then we've had some differing takes on that and something about Paul Bettany being brought back in. So I don't know if, if filming has wrapped or not. It was supposed to be done. So who knows? We'll see what happens there and uh, assuming... Loki, the third one, which we haven't really been told when that was going to come out, um, that's going to be pushed back as well. Other news, Haley Steinfeld, who was believed to be in negotiations for Kate Bishop, who is Hawkeye's protege for the Hawkeye show, 
that has been confirmed by Disney from different sources that she is in negotiations, but it was not confirmed whether those negotiations have concluded, whether she's in or out, but that she is in talks. That has been confirmed. So that's, you know, some different news on the Disney Plus front. Surprisingly, we didn't expect this news. There was a leak in Australia Basically, that New Mutants is coming to Disney+. Plus. We thought it was going to get a theatrical release, but with all the COVID news and everything else, long story short, the leak is saying that September 4th, New Mutants is coming to Disney+. Plus. So we believe that that's going to be announced at Comic-Con, uh, which is actually within the next couple days of us recording this. So, yay! Should be fun times on Disney+, Plus on getting New Mutants and... You know, it finally getting this movie out, the movie of a million dates. Yeah, poor New Mutants. We've been waiting for that forever. I mean, obviously, it's sad that so many of the Marvel shows are getting pushed back. I'm pretty heartbroken about it. But the last two bits of info, I'm psyched about Kate Bishop and the Hawkeye show. I've been waiting for Hawkeye TV show since I read the Matt Fraction comics, which was years ago. Yeah, little do our viewers know. Hawkeye is her jam. Yeah, Hawkeye's my favorite Avenger. Make fun of me all you want. I don't care. I think he's awesome. And I love his relationship with Kate. I think it's super fun. I like that she kind of keeps him on his toes. And I cannot wait for that show. I also love Haley Steinfeld. So I support the casting 100%. I'm also really psyched about New Mutants. I love kind of fringe side stories within a larger universe. Like, I love The Mandalorian, and I love Rogue One. I like that they aren't the main plot. It's just kind of this little story off to the side. Well, and it's kind of this horror-esque from what they've been did touting, that they have gone back to that horror-ish movie when they... I know there was some, some back and forth with the director and different things and the cuts that Fox did and didn't do, and supposedly Disney took it back to that, yeah, we're going to kind of do a, a horror-ish movie in this, so... I'm pumped for that. I think a horror X-Men movie sounds awesome. I'm all about it. Yep. And a lot of lesser known mutants and it's, you know, Fox, Disney acquired swan song kind of thing. So. Yeah. As far as other news goes, thankfully, at least the Mandalorian still seems to be on track for October. Thus far, it does not look like it's getting pushed back like the Marvel shows have been. Also coming out before our next episode will be Beyonce's musical film, Black is King. That is coming out on July 31st. It is based on last year's album titled The Gift. It's a visual album incorporating a lot of the lessons and themes in The Lion King. Beyonce said it, quote, honors the voyages of black families throughout time and a tale about a young king's transcendent journey through betrayal, love, and self-identity. His ancestors helped guide him toward his destiny and with his father's teaching and guidance from his childhood love, he earns the virtues needed to reclaim his home and throne. My favorite thing about this movie is that I have no idea what that means. Like, I, I know what it means, but I really have no clue what to expect from this experience. So I'm kind of excited just because I have no clue what it's going to be. I love that I know so much about what's going on with Disney Plus and Marvel and Star Wars, and yet have no idea about this. This is the first I'm hearing of it. And so I love that we can go back and forth like this. And it's a little bit surprise yeah, for me. I, had kind of heard mention of it, but I hadn't really looked into it more until today. And I'm intrigued. I'm I'm pretty psyched about it. Two other cool things have dropped. I haven't watched them yet, but we've got some classic Walt Disney presentations. 
the first one is the pre-opening report from Disneyland, in which he kind of details the final days before the opening of the park and everything that went into that. And then from 19, I think it said 77, the Mouseketeers at Walt Disney World. First of all, there were 70s Mouseketeers? I missed that. I didn't know that. <laughs> I knew about the 60s. I knew about, you know, Annette and all of them. But I had no idea about the 70s. And I also didn't know that there were Mouseketeers at Disney World. Well, I did know that. But I know about the 90s Mouseketeers. Justin Timberlake, J.C. Chazay, Britney Spears, Ryan Gosling. Their era of Mouseketeers did a lot of filming in the parks. I saw a couple episodes as an adult. And it's fun watching it if you're a Parks fan because you're like, oh, they're filming that at the beach club. And it's stuff that as a kid, you would have no idea that they were filming on the resort because they kind of do it strategically. So it doesn't look like you're, you know, most of it, they're not standing in front of Cinderella Castle. They're just making use of the environment that they have available to them. If you got it, use it. Yeah, exactly. But apparently back in the 70s with the quote unquote new Mouseketeers, they filmed a one hour special in Disney World. So if that's something you want to check out, that is available to you. Who knows? It could end up on the roulette. Maybe so. All right, so should we talk about our drink for this week? I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty proud of this one. This was completely her idea. Yeah, I kind of surprised him with it. So the drink this week is the Tinker Bellini. It is peach puree, one shot of peach schnapps, prosecco, and then a little bit of that edible glitter stuff that makes the drinks all shimmery and shiny to replicate the pixie dust. I thought it tasted pretty good. I personally went a little heavy on the puree, but I will modify the recipe before we put it up on our website. So as always, if you want to get the recipe, that will be on this episode's page of our website, which is browsehousemedia.com, B-R-O-U-S-E. And that way you can drink along with your own rewatching. That's right. All right, so before we get started with our reviews, I do have two little things of trivia for you, Bob. Uh, first of all, the Lost Boys' names were never said in the original Peter Pan, which I did not remember. I was kind of surprised when I read that. Uh, but those names are revealed in this film. They are Slightly, Nibs, The Twins, Cubby, and Toodles. Those are, of course, names from J.M. Barry's original story. The Disney animators felt they exhausted all comic possibilities of Hook versus the Crocodile, which I think is probably true. They've done that many times in many different versions of Peter Pan. So for this movie, they made an octopus the nemesis. And I thought this was kind of a cool little thing that they worked in there. He would kind of stick the suckers on his tentacles together and make a like popping sound. And that mimicked the TikTok sound of the crocodile. So it was kind of reminiscent of the crocodile, but a new nemesis for Captain Hook. I also want to give them a pat on the back for using the word cephalopod in a Disney movie. I really appreciated that as a zoo nerd. And here's your nerdy zoo fact for the day. What what do you think the plural of octopus is, Bob? Uh, I would assume with my non-Latin speaking person that it would be octopi. Aha, that is the common assumption. But octopuses is generally accepted as the plural in English. People love to act like know-it-alls and say, oh, no, 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 it's octopi, but it's only octopi in Latin-based words. And octopus is actually a Greek-based word, and the Greek plural of it would be octopodes. So technically, the correct and accepted plural of octopus are octopuses, 
or octopodes. Octopodes. Yes. Interesting. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. But it sounds so much cooler. It sounds like some Greek god or something. It does. The 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 god of eight-sided things. I don't know. <laughs> All right, review time. First, I do want to draw attention to the fact that you actually pointed this out to me when we were watching it. The sequels on Disney Plus are referred to as additional animated movies. <laughs> yeah, they didn't make a sequels column. They didn't, you know, just throw them out there. Additional. That was a very interesting thing. It makes me feel like they feel like they are lesser. And I know that was a mouthful to say, but it's, it's, it's spot on. You mean they are aware that they are lesser? Because they are. Yeah. I, I Okay. That being said, I have and have not, you know, seen a lot of the different sequels. We'll just call them that for now. You know, different ones, Little Mermaid, the, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. But I have to say, out of the ones I've seen thus far, this has been the best one. Yeah, it's not a bad movie. It's actually pretty good. And I was not expecting that at all. I'm glad we kind of came to an agreement on that one. Yeah, so far we've kind of been on the same page, which like people might expect because we're married, but we actually have pretty different film tastes in a lot of senses. Like we're on the same page as far as Marvel goes for the most part, but general movie viewing, we have some pretty varied tastes, especially with animated movies, I feel. I'm kind of surprised that we've been so on par for these first two. Two for two. Uh, let's see what I've got for my notes for this one. They start out the movie with kind of a cool summation of the first Peter Pan by following Tinkerbell as she's zooming through the clouds and you're kind of seeing the shadows of the previous movie through the clouds. It was really well animated, a really cool effect. It was subtle enough that it wasn't beating you over the head with, hey, by the way, let's catch you up. Right. It was just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words. Uh, homage. I mean, that's the best way I could put it. Is It was a nice summary homage that not only was beautiful, it was, it was well animated. The music stayed with every moment. The orchestral, I guess the overture, um, really took you through the entire Peter Pan movie. And, and at no point did I get bored with it. At no point did I, I was like, oh, that's the, and I actually had to stop myself because as we've said, we don't really talk to each other about the movie when we're watching it together to make sure that you guys get the full reaction. But I really felt that I was in this headspace. I'm back in, in Neverland. I'm ready to go. I'm in this world. Yeah, I agree. I was pretty much in this from moment one. It is set in World War One, which I think is a really cool choice because it makes for a pretty stark juxtaposition between the real world, quote unquote, and Neverland. Like she's literally living in dark, scary times. So Neverland is even more of this kind of dream world. It's, I think, even more so than what Wendy experienced in the original Peter Pan. I really, really like Jane a lot. I'll kind of get into that more later, but... I was just going to say, we're talking about her, we're talking about her throughout this thing. Uh, Jane is the main character, Wendy's daughter. Yes, and Jane is straight-laced but like Wendy was, but in a different way. Jane is very much a product of 
her environment. She's grown up in this war zone. She's had to grow up very, very quickly and kind of be responsible for taking care of her little brother and helping her mom. And she is very, very serious because the world is a serious place. Whereas I feel like Wendy was kind of more of just a cliche, like, uptight girl. She was a Mary Sue. Yeah, that kind of old shtick of, oh, it's just the, you know, snobby little girl. I think Jane is actually a really, really well-rounded and well-developed character. Way more than I would have expected from a sequel, for sure. It was very much solidified. She wasn't uptight for uptight's sake. She made her dad a promise when he went away to the war that she was going to take care of the family for him because she was the eldest of the children and, you know, make sure you take care of your mom and your brother. I don't feel like it was something that was overdramatic. I think she took it seriously. She took the responsibility. And in that world, she, she as a child growing up so quickly, which is a theme throughout this entire film, a child growing up so quickly that she took that seriously. She took that honor. She took that very British concept of this is my duty and ran with it. For sure. I also want to give a little shout out to the song I'll Try from this movie. It is a beautiful song. I've loved it for years and years and years. No joke, I actually almost got a tattoo in college that said I'll Try based on that song. I think it is absolutely beautiful and I was always shocked that it came from Return to Neverland because honestly it seemed like it deserved to be from something so much better and I guess it just turns out that it was actually from something good. It was right where it belonged. So we get a little bit of that song after she finds out that she and her brother are being shipped off to the country to flee from the war. I will differ on opinion a little bit with you here. I think the song is fine. I think it's it's a it's a well-performed song. I think the content in the song is great. I don't feel that it fit this movie. The time, the era, the feel of that song kind of took me out of it. It felt very, I want to say Ani DeFranco, but it like that piano that I'm going to sing out my feelings, single female pianist feeling, but it's not a bad thing. It just, it just didn't hit for me in this World War One era. Again, beautiful song, beautifully performed, just didn't feel in the right place for me. I can actually see where you're coming from there. I'm speaking from a place of I knew the song way before I saw the movie, so I was just happy to have the song play because I love it so much. But it did feel kind of the same way that When She Loved Me from Toy Story 2 happened. It was like, we have plot, 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 and now we have this musical interlude. It kind of felt like that. And now is where we insert the song. Even though both of those are two great songs, they kind of are a little bit jarring to me as far as the pacing of the movie goes. So I definitely get where you're coming from there. Another note on that is this, correct me if I'm wrong, this movie has songs in it, right? That are sung by characters? It does. They're almost mini songs. Right. And then we throw this one thing that's done from an audience standpoint. And again, like I went in from Peter Pan. Okay, this is the world we're living in. And they set that up with the orchestra and the overture. And then we did that weird. There are songs in this that the characters are part of. And then there are ones that are not. And it kind of threw me for a little bit of a crowd loop, as it were. Yeah, I get that. Though, in their defense, I'm pretty sure the original Peter Pan is also like that. So that may have been a decision made on purpose, because 
the second star to the right is sung that's true by voiceover but then following the leader is sung by characters so maybe they're just kind of trying to stick to the formula of the first movie as far as that goes that is true as well i concede my point okay so the other thing i want to talk about is the fact that i was worried that we were going to walk into this and either a not acknowledge hook or b completely rip off hook thoughts uh true life confession i didn't even think about it in terms of hook you mentioned as we were starting is this basically going to be hook and they're just two very different beings to me like i know that hook is a sequel to peter pan and it was just so well done just the tone of it is so different though i just don't associate the two one is a live action movie and the other one is peter pan i I grew up in that demographic where hook was supposed to hit so that's right deep in my heart well they didn't rip off hook but they did throw in a really awesome homage that we both caught and we had to turn to each other in the moment and be like wait was that Hook sticks his hook in through the window to slowly open the window door to kidnap Jane, just like he does in Yeah, you see the hook and just the hook in Hook. That's a lot of hooks. That's a lot of hooks. (laughs) Don't play a hook drinking game, you guys. It won't end well for you. Uh, So Jane gets kidnapped, and Peter goes to rescue her, thinking that she is Wendy. Turns out she's not. Go figure. Go figure. And one thing that stays consistent through all of Peter Pan is that Tinkerbell is a straight up bitch. She's a jealous bitch. That seems I... to be our one word that we love to go to, though, by the way. Bitch? Really? <laughs> yeah. Poo, poo last time was a, a basic bitch. Oh, you're right. You're right. Well, listen, I could use a harsher word for Tinkerbell, but I'm not trying that hard <laughs> to earn the explicit tag yet. It'll happen. I promise you. Uh, Tinkerbell is a straight up bitch. I really have a lot of affection for her character but only in the context of the wonderful world of disney kind of her being an icon of classic walt era disney the way that jimmy cricket is she, she's part of the magic right but in the context of peter pan i really find her unlikable i can't even enjoy her for her sassiness i just kind of want to smack her i have a love-hate relationship with tank i agree that she she is jealousy incarnate and this movie you're right she comes out the gate swinging as soon as she acknowledges that jane is a girl and those characters meet it's like oh i'm to 11 i can cut her a little bit of slack in that her life force literally depends on other people so that must be stressful. Well, it's stressful, but at the same time, you you would think that for someone, as you said, whose entire being depends on someone believing in them, you might be a little bit more polite. You might be, hey, I really want you to like me, instead of, hey, let me push you off this cliff. Speaking of pushing off cliffs, that is how Peter Pan decides to try to train her how to fly. He's just like, here, have some pixie dust. Off you go, and shoves her off a cliff. Peter Pan has no sense of caution. He has no sense of gravitas, I guess is the word. Gravity, (laughs) haha, gravitas. Um, Well, you know who did have a sense of gravity? Jane, who left a Jane-sized hole in the (laughs) ground when she fell off a cliff. Yeah, that, you know, in Peter Pan, I will let fly that Captain Hook is a cartoon. In that world, he has hit, smacked his head, and and so many different things, not only in the original movie, but in this movie. So I, I allow that Captain Hook is a cartoon, but when she fell to the ground and created the literal 
cartoon Jane size hole, I was like, oh, that took me out of it. That took me into the goofy Donald Duck, Chip and Dale slapstick comedy of Disney rather than the magical essence that is Peter Pan. This might be a little sacrilegious, but I kind of felt that way a little bit about all of Neverland. I kind of liked the movie more when it was them in World War One England. <laughs> Mostly because I'm not really into the Lost Boys. It's a lot of like slapstick and they're kind of loud and obnoxious. And even as a kid, they were my least favorite part of the first movie. And this movie is pretty Lost Boy heavy once you get to Neverland. So I, I still enjoyed the movie, but the longer they were in Neverland, the more I was kind of ready to move the plot along and let's resolve this story a little bit. Yeah, I can agree with you actually there. The Lost Boys really weren't my jam. I really like the Lost Boys in Hook, but that's not this movie. So that's my only real love for them. Bangarang. <laughs> Rufio! So, overall, thoughts and feelings about the movie. How'd you feel, and how many hooks out of five would you give it? Well, in real realistic terms for a sequel, it's a kid's movie. I enjoyed the movie. The animation was great. The scoring was great. I have so many mixed feelings on this movie. I loved some of the ways that they used Peter Pan's flight. I loved the ways that the, the Lost Boys and the Pirates were fighting back and forth. There, there was so many good things to talk about, and then the worst things would come out in the movie, uh, as you said. They would just kind of stall. I didn't love the songs, per se, as you said, mini-songs. So I would actually wrap this up in probably about two and a half hooks out of five. Interesting. I was going to go three and a half, but I think you talked me down to three. Largely because of the songs, because other than I'll Try, the other songs were really forgettable and kind of more what you would expect for... I couldn't name a single song right now. There's something about, this is what the Lost Boys do. There you go, you got one. Yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to give it three and a half just for the quality, despite it being a sequel, but also we're not necessarily rating things based on their potential. We're rating them on how we felt about them. So I think I'm going to stick with a three. For me, it was probably around where Pooh's Grand Adventure was. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with you that it, it is on par with it, but some of the things just took me out of it. It, it took me a long time. I, as much as I want to say I didn't enjoy it as saying a two and a half, I still enjoyed the movie. But it's, again, I would want to go back and watch Pooh again. I do not need to see that movie again. All right, that's fair enough. I do think Pooh kind of operated on a few more levels maybe than this one did. Yeah, I mean, we got we got a moral moral context out of it. We got, you know, you shouldn't grow up as a kid too fast and cherish your childhood, but, you know, be responsible when necessary and lots of things out of it. But it is what it is, and it's a fun kids movie, and I'm going to stick with two and a half. All right. We have given our ratings for Return to Neverland, and that means it is time to roll for next week. So I'm going to do the honors today. I'm going to spin those die. <laughs> Shit, one hit the floor. <laughs> Crack die. We're going to re-roll that one because we follow the rules. We really need to get a wheel. Hey, if you want to build me a wheel that holds almost 700 movies, you go for it, babe. Number 173 is Drain the Great Lakes which is a National Geographic documentary. 
Let's talk about documentaries, you guys. I debated a lot about whether or not to include documentaries in this list, largely because I just don't know how interesting it would be to have somebody retell you just a bunch of information given to you in a documentary. That's kind of the point of a documentary. That being said, Bob and I did a dry run of one and had a good time watching it and a good time talking about it. Uh, we'll hopefully get back to that again some other time. But that was kind of a test run, and it's tucked away. <laughs> um, so we're going to try it again. We'll go ahead and do this documentary. We'll see how it goes. And depending on how we feel about it, and depending on feedback, we may or may not continue with documentaries in the list. But let us know. You know, that's that's what Twitter is for. That's what Facebook and Instagram and email and all those things that you can reach out to us and, and give us your feedback. Let us know what you want to hear Right, exactly. I really struggled a lot with this debate because the appeal of this project for me was you have to watch whatever the dice tell you to watch. You don't get to pick and choose. So eliminating documentaries feels like picking and choosing, but I also want to make a good show that's fun to listen to. So we'll give it a shot next week. We'll see how it goes and you guys let us know how you feel about it. That's going to wrap us up for today, I think. Uh, before we head out, we do want to say that Disney Plus Roulette is a fan cast. Other than me working at a Disney store in Virginia 15 years ago? Neither of us are employees of or affiliated with Disney. Any and all opinions expressed are our, our own. own. Please, if you enjoy the show, give us that old five-star review and subscribe on iTunes. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Disney Roulette. And that's at Disney Roulette Pod on Instagram. You can also email us at Disney Roulette Podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at BrouseHouseMedia.com. That's B R O U S E HouseMedia.com. One big word. Just uh, scroll down to the bottom of the page and hit that donate button. Thanks again to my husband for being my co host in crime. Aww. And thank you everyone for listening. And in the words of Captain Hook, this is driving me to delirium. I detest cephalopods. Ooh, cephalopods. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Mm -hmm.